You're listening. No. You're listening to the Buns.com Podcast Network. (laughs) (laughs) Buns, buns, buns. Hi, everyone. Steven here. And before we get this episode going, I want to say a huge thank you to everyone who came out to our first live event recording last week. We had a great time, and we're happy to announce that our next live event will be August the 23rd in the same spot. Co-Power's beautiful brick and beam downtown Toronto headquarters. So mark your calendars, and we'll see you there. Now, it's time for today's episode with Emmy Award-winning director Jeff Orlowelski and his team from the newly released documentary on Netflix, Chasing Coral. Bye for now. In, in some ways, this film is not about corals at all. Like the film at face value, we're calling it, it's this quest to document and capture and see how corals are changing. But the real story here in my mind is not a matter of the changes happening to coral reefs right now, it's, it's how the entire planet is changing at massive scale right now. From Sustainable Joe's, this is 2084, a podcast about designing tomorrow, creating a sustainable future for all, told by the people building it today. Hi everyone, I'm Stephen Such, and this week we have a very special episode for you. Because a few months ago during the Hot Docs Film Festival right here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, I had the privilege to sit down with four members of the team behind the award-winning documentary Chasing Coral. We've been holding on to this episode since then because we were asked to release it alongside the film's Netflix launch date. That being said, last week the film came out on Netflix. If you've yet to see it, I strongly suggest you check it out. In this episode of 2084, I sit down with the Emmy Award-winning director of Chasing Ice and Chasing Coral, Jeff Orlowski, producer Larissa Rhodes, camera tech and surprise film star Zach Rago, also known as the Coral Buff, as you'll find out in the episode and when you watch the film, and audio tech Mark Crawford. This is part one of our candid conversation about a serious topic with a feel-good vibe. And we start our conversation today with one of the most beautiful storylines throughout the film. How Zach, a man hired to build the underwater protective camera cases to empower the time-lapse photography, in fact, turned out to be a coral buff extraordinaire. Seriously, come to find out the man has pet coral in his basement. Anyways. My monologue is over. This is my conversation with the Chasing Coral team. Jeff, Larissa, Zach, and Mark. I hope you enjoy. Well, we, the funny thing is that we had been working together for months, maybe a, almost a year possibly, before even realizing... In the developmental phase. Yeah, before I realized how much Zach knew about corals and how much he cared about corals. Um, and so we... we had not anticipated that storyline until we were in Australia. Yeah, honestly. and I mean, I still think of it like, obviously, I knew inherently. I was like, "Oh, this is awesome! I'm stoked that I'm working on it." But did you um, not share? No, I wasn't. It wasn't that I wasn't sharing. It was also like I had my place. You know, I was uh, I was there to build these cameras. I was there to put them in the water. I wasn't like trying to, like, "Hey, can I be in your movie?" <laughs> no, but um, I mean, it's like I, I love cool. But I think if the anybody, first time I really said I was the first time we went in the field and we were getting onto a red eye. It's like Atlanta or something going to the Bahamas, and it was me and Jeff and Catherine. You're sorry, getting on a plane. And I was like, by the way, like. I know all the names of the corals and like I can might be able to help you a little bit like <laughs> figuring out where to put the cameras like that was like my introduction and like yeah you know I I, I have a little bit of background here but and what did like, what did you say at that point like what did you say the the moment you realized 
that Zach actually knew a lot about coral, not just cameras. It's sort of, it sort of was a unfolding. It was an unfolding evolution, but you're right. Like when we went to the Bahamas for that first trip, um, there was some local teams that we were working with down there. And this woman, Mallory and Zach were talking about these species and referencing all the scientific names. And it was like, Oh, like, we just thought he was a camera tech. Yeah. You seem to know what you're talking about here with all just dropping Latin. Like, (laughs) like, yeah. Whenever anybody drops Latin, it's like, you know what you're talking about. I will defer to your expertise. Um, and so it was, um, Actually, it was sort of that shoot. It was that trip down there where um, we recognized Zach seems to know quite a bit about the corals. Um, we're having problems with the cameras. Um, he had to jump in the water and all the footage that we captured there and the technical challenges. And he was like, oh, maybe there's a... At that point, it was like, maybe there's a storyline here and we should keep filming Zach's story. And then it was over the course of time where I think we learned like to what extent that really uh, the background there and the passion there. Yeah, especially in Australia. Yeah. Then we got to know each other so well that right. it's impossible to get away from it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you're in Toronto right now, screening the film. Uh, how what what's the response been like? It's been unbelievable. Um, Jeff and I were just thinking maybe maybe our whole team should just move here um, because fully support that. This audience just and the whole community just supports documentaries, and it's really unbelievable. We had a screening this morning. Um, it started at ten. There were people lining up an hour in advance. It was cold. It was Saturday morning, and the theater was packed. So. We we didn't want to be there that yeah. early. <laughs> <laughs> it's really it's just an amazing group of people, and they really just care about documentaries. It's it's very unique. Well, and they, and they care about the planet. I mean, Toronto is an, an incredibly multicultural and, and very mm-hmm. diverse city. And I, I mean, I feel very lucky to live here I, because like the, the perspectives, uh, especially with what's kind of happening is below, below yes. our border mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, is, is, is interesting. What are people saying about the film uh, here or everywhere? I mean, like, I, why don't you tell everybody kind of what you've been up to? I mean, you, you're, you're kind of hitting the, the festival circuit, the festival scene. How many festivals have you been to? Where have you been? You know, are, are you tired? <laughs> are, do you need, do you need always to... Always tired. <laughs> <laughs> um, are you excited? We yeah, yeah, and always excited. Oh yeah, <laughs> always tired, always excited. <laughs> we, we premiered at Sundance. Uh, we picked up the audience award there, which is like the coolest thing that could have happened to the film. Um, and then we've probably done maybe eight to 10 festivals since then. If I may, what, what what is the audience award? Is that like the favorite film or that from the audience Um, of all the films there? So all uh, just documentaries. So there, yeah, there's a a winner for the documentary category and there's a winner, winner for the narrative category. And so we won, um, every screening people can vote for the films that are in competition and, uh, we won for the documentary category Beautiful. for feature docs. So that was Congrats. pretty awesome and exciting. Yeah. I mean, it was one of those like bucket list. That's freaking awesome. <laughs> well, I mean, you also won an yeah. Emmy, right? Um, yes, that, yes. Which was, was completely unexpected and unanticipated for that film as well, which was kind of cool. So, um, and we're not doing this for awards. Like the award, uh, they're great. Um, I don't know. It's a, a great sign of, a, uh, like we're very appreciative. Yeah. yeah. But uh, I mean, we're trying to do this to uh, to reveal this um, bigger story and the reality of what's happening that we've um, fortunately and unfortunately that we've seen firsthand. Um, and it feels like a responsibility to get this stuff out there, to get the stories out there. Um, so 
when when I look at the awards, it's just another thing that might help the message and the story get out a little bit further. So if we can go someplace and go to a school and say, hey, look, we've got this film. It won this awesome award at Sundance. That gives the film credibility in a way that it's not me trying to you know push it on people. It's this other organization that kind of gave it some credibility. When you talk about getting the film out there, and mm -hmm. you, and you know you, you obviously don't do it for the awards. I don't I don't think anybody in the environmental space does it for the awards. <laughs> um, We're certainly not doing it for the paycheck. Yeah, yeah. you and me both, <laughs> <laughs> all of us here. Um, I'm very lucky, you know. As I was sharing before, I uh, you know my 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 roommate puts a, a roof over my head, mm -hmm. um, and and quite literally you know i think we all have our our angels out there mm -hmm. i mean we'll get to that we have how many you, of those yeah mm -hmm. how you ended up getting the the film mm -hmm. put together uh but when you talk about wanting to share what you've seen and the responsibility therein, I, I kind of talk about for a second. I mean, mm -hmm. what I'd love to hear what all three of you have seen. I mean, Mark, you're, you're sitting to the side of the table. You know, I feel free to, to chime in about what you saw, how people interacted. I think what's interesting is that um, the, the most interesting response I've gotten on like social media is just like a couple weeks after somebody has seen the film, they've contacted me and said, hey, I'm still thinking about this. So I think there's some kind of, you know, it's the film is getting under people's skin and that's kind of interesting. So I think the next step after that is just like being that support group for them. Cause we, we all went through it and it was a long period of us dealing with this issue and understanding it and coping with it. But I think it's interesting to see people experience that for the first time and then kind of guide them through, okay, what's the net, how do you turn that potential energy into kinetic energy? What they, what can they do about it? Cool. And, and we'll, we'll get to what people can do about it too. Um, so we got angels to get to, we got mm -hmm. what people can do about it to get to, uh, what did you see? I mean, like one of the numbers that like, and I, I hate to drown on numbers, like 22% was it yeah. of the great barrier reef was lost yeah. in 2016. So like, last year in 2016, because of hot ocean temperatures, 22% of the great barrier reef died. And that there's nothing normal about that. This is such an aberration from anything any scientist has seen in the oceans ever. Um, I think that's fair to say, right? And that's, that's also that's, not yes. the end of the story. And that's not the end of the story in that last year was, uh, last year was the tail end of a three-year-long El Nino, two-and-a-half-year, three-year El Nino. That and for those who don't know... An El Nino, Nino it, it's, um, it's a changing ocean pattern. It's a very normal cyclical pattern that happens that, that usually indicates warmer ocean temperatures in certain areas. Um, that's the a simple, short, short version of what's happening there. And so because of those changing ocean patterns, the scientists that we were talking to expected that some sort of bleaching would happen. Um, in the past, every major bleaching that we've seen happen in the oceans has coincided with a previous El Nino, but they, they only started in the 80s. So like in the 80s, we first got hints of it. In the 90s, it got worse. In the 2000s, it got worse. And then in 2016, it was devastating. Then the scary part is that the El Nino finished. And this year in 2017, the bleaching on the Great Barrier Reef was close to as bad as it was last year. Um, it, an, another extremely bad year for coral bleaching in Australia this year. And in a different region, the, the heart of it, the core of what bleached is in, was in a different section than what bleached last year. 
when you combine the, the two years back to back, um, the, about 60% of the Great Barrier Reef experienced bleaching last year ends this year, like a back-to-back -back attack. Wow. And to have that, that speed of such a huge event um, when this year was not an El Nino and wasn't anticipated to, to be nearly this bad, that's where it's a real scary wake-up call for the scientists because all of the predictions, uh, things are seeming to happen faster than the predictions even indicated just a few years ago. A minute of ads coming your way because, well, I get green beer for green chats from Steam Whistle and Buns hosts this podcast. So first to Steam Whistle Brewing from their 100% renewably powered brewery to their green bottles, which can be reused up to three times more than a standard brown bottle. Quote unquote, Steam Whistle is proud to support Sustainable Joes as we work to create a sustainable tomorrow together. 2084 is also thankful for the support of Buns, your city network. Buns connects you with the people in your neighborhood to help you find the things you need to fuel your real life or swap things you already have to get items you need. You can also find jobs that pay the bills, homes for rent, advice, and just a place to talk about your city. Buns is available online at buns.com, that's buns with a Z, and on your phone via the Apple App Store and Google Play Store. Lastly, this podcast is publicly funded. Thank you to all of those who support our monthly Patreon campaign. And if you have the capacity to contribute or would like your business to be highlighted right here on the Sustainable Joes 2084 podcast, send us a message at sustainablejoes.com. That's Joes with an S. Because whether you are a Joseph or Joanne, together we are a group of Joes. And together we're going to change the world. Now back to the show. I love science. You're wearing socks yeah. that say... My science today say science on them, coincidentally. Yeah. Your yeah. socks say science. Um, you know, what's out of sight is often out of mind. Exactly. How do we... Like, what What does loss of coral mean to everyday people? Because, I like, yeah. it, you know, no different than a landfill. If I don't yeah. see the landfill... Right. Well, I mean, I care, but... Right. <laughs> well, let me... Let me um, if I may pivot on your question there, because in in some ways this film is not about corals at all. Like the film at face value, we're calling it, it's this quest to document and capture and see how corals are changing. But the real story here in my mind is not a matter of the changes happening to coral reefs right now. It's, it's how the entire planet is changing at massive scale right now in ways that are speeding up much faster than, than the scientists had predicted. And all of the consequences of that are really, really scary. So corals are one way to visualize that and to demonstrate it. That's why the film focuses on that. But if you start connecting the dots between coral reefs and the rest of the planet, that's where things get alarming. So you've got a billion people who depend on coral reefs for their food and protein, for, for fish, for actual a source of nutrition. Um, if we lose coral reefs like we're expecting to in about 30 years or so, we're talking about like coral reefs wiped out globally within 30 years. You've got a billion people now who have lost a main source of protein. So what happens when a billion people lose their food? We've got, got a lot of, you got a billion hungry people, a billion hungry people that are going to be looking for food in other places. They're going to move. They're going to like, it starts changing a lot of factors beyond just what's happening in that one particular reef. Absolutely. Um, so that, that's, that's a, an example of a coral reef story, but in those, a lot of those same regions, they are low lying 
ocean islands. So as sea level continues to get worse from the same consequences of climate change, you have storms that start coming in, bringing more and more water higher and higher inland. So now you have local communities that have a storm that floods their cropland. You get one bad storm, you can't grow food there anymore because the salt water has made that useless. So now you've got people who need to move for food purposes. Useless because it gets into the soil. Once, once yes. you get salt, well, yeah, you're, you're growing crops. You need, it's fresh water that's, that's driving that. You can't grow plants with salt water. So it pollutes I, the yeah. aquifer, it pollutes the soil. Therefore, We've seen that you, happen you already grow. in low-lying island nations where people have been forced to migrate already. Um, human migration, I think, is going to be one of the biggest issues that we see over the next century. Um, we're seeing that in Syria. Like Syria is a story of a drought that helped spark. You overlay a drought on top of political conflict and it's a powder keg. Hmm. And Syria is a story of, I don't know, something like 10, 8 million, 10 million refugees, something like that. Um, the, the CIA has predicted 200 to 250 million climate refugees by the end of the century. So we're talking about Syria being a much, much smaller fraction of the problem that is to come. So we're, we're changing where we get fresh water. We're changing where people can get food and where people can grow food. We're changing where people can live. India has already built a wall, a fence around Bangladesh, concerned about sea level rise and human migration and wanting to keep some sort of control at that border. So the, the changes that are going to come in the next several decades it, the, the coral reefs are a tiny, tiny way to visualize a much bigger set of domino effects that are that are coming. Yeah, absolutely. And I they mean, don't. None of, them, none of them look good. No. <laughs> so I like if we talk about you know moving forward. Like, by the way, everybody, mm -hmm. just to put it in some scope or to give scale to this, um, I remember in the film you, you had mentioned that the Great Barrier Reef is two thousand miles long. Kilometers. Kilometers. Okay, which is essentially the eastern seaboard of the United States. So to lose or to have 60% of that be affected, I mean, we're essentially talking about Maine to, you know, South Carolina. Yeah. Um, it's a lot. That is a lot. Uh, and a, the, the climate refugees point is terrifying. Zach, what was this journey like? for you because like i mean i i would assume and and correct me if i'm wrong here uh larissa and jeff um that you know having worked on chasing ice having worked on chasing coral you're you're kind of in it for like you said more than just coral or more than just glaciers you're building cameras right <laughs> um well no, no, it's completely different where it ended than where I envisioned it in the beginning, you know, I was, yeah, I figured I was going in the field for a week to the Bahamas and hopefully they got their footage and that would have been my role. Um, then we but, sucked them in. Yeah. <laughs> but I think of the, I think about it in like two different aspects of like a, the, the selfish aspect of who I am and what my feelings are towards this issue and to this ecosystem and this personal connection where selfishly it's like the hardest thing that I could have ever imagined. Um, they're really, really hard days and a lot of days that I don't want to be there. Um, but at the same time, what, you know, kept me going, what kept all of us going, I think, is that this story is bigger than my personal gripes with the issue. It's about the opportunity to share that story. Um, and that's kind of what in the back of your head, it's like, you know, suck it up and you have this opportunity to show what's really meaningful to you changing to the public and 
that makes every moment worth it that I wouldn't trade for the world. What was the hardest day for you? So the day actually that's in the film that is very emotional in the movie is actually a really interesting day because that morning, um, you can imagine after, you know, 30 days of doing this, it's hard to remember day one. Yeah, totally. Um, so that morning we had actually, I think Jeff stayed up all night and had put together the time lapses up until that point. And I watched them that morning and then we went out and I just had it, it fresh in my mind of this beautiful reef that I started with a month ago. And now, you know, sitting on the boat thinking about where I'm going and what I'm about to go do. And that was really a miserable day. Um, just because you had it fresh in your, in your conscious and, you're more aware of it than maybe the day before where kind of the days get lost and you remember the past three days, but it's hard to feel that original connection to how it looked once. Um, but the hardest by far was we had actually left to go pick up the other cameras that we installed in the South. And we came back up about a week, two weeks later, um, back to Lizard Island and we knew it was going to be bad. Um, because we'd basically given it its time to really kind of finalize. It was about a month later. Yeah, something. Between when we left and when we finally got yeah. back there. So basically we returned and we knew it was going to be bad um, because we kind of let it all play itself out to actually see these mortality rates, see what this ecosystem looked like. And it was just worse than like you could have even imagined, just basically nothing left. And so I think for all of us, particularly me and the other guy that was working on this with us, a guy named Gonzalo, um, you know, we all spent these months together on this reef doing this project and to come back and just uh, really kind of just lose hope for it completely um, for that reef in particular. It's just nothing. Can coral rebound? Like, I mean, can coral actually come back or? Yeah, corals are amazing. They're really good at what they've done. I mean, I know nothing about coral. Again, yeah. I, I like I, I couldn't swim. No, like, I was like, I, I joked around with my friend Alex. who was like, Stephen, <laughs> you want to go see Chasing Coral? It's by the same people who did Chasing Ice. I'm like, mm. I wasn't actually expecting to be touched the way I was during the film. So I like, thank you for that. Like, well, it was yeah. truly beautiful. Um, can coral bounce back? And if it doesn't. What are the implications other than mass migration, sea level rise, and I mean, essentially a plant yeah, on the face know, it's of It's complicated. Uh, corals have been around for a really long time. And a what bunch is of a really long time? Do you have any idea? Yeah. Like, so, I mean, if you want to talk about the first corals, we're talking about, you know, 800 million years, and we've had different cool. instances of different sets of corals. So, the corals we have today aren't the corals we had 800 million years ago. Okay. Um, but they're really good at what they do, right? So, so like 300 million years for photosynthetic. Corals, yeah, right? right. So, these corals have been adapting and kind of perfecting this amazing system to live where they live and do so really well. Um, so they're really good at coming back. So even in a, an event like this, if it doesn't get hot next year, or the year after that, or in 10 years, um, they're going to reseed, you know, they throw their gametes out into the water column and that allows corals to really regenerate quickly. Um, the catch is, in these events that are so massive like this, you're losing a lot of diversity, first of all, and you're also losing corals that could be 500 years old. Um, and you can't replace that in 10 years or even 50 years. So these things take time. And the big worry in the scientific community is, right now we're just, like Jeff said already, back-to-back -back bleaching events in the Great Barrier Reef 2016 and 2017. It's just unheard of, unprecedented time frames here. And if that continues, that frequency, they, um, they don't have the chance to replenish themselves. They can't recuperate. But given an opportunity, they'll be just fine. Beautiful. Uh, are coral kind of like trees of the ocean? I was just going to make a tree analogy there, and I've been struggling with how to 
how to make the, hit this point really well. well let's see because if we can work can, through it, baby. You can, <laughs> you can picture clear cutting a forest. Yeah. Right? And people can visualize that. Yeah. So to some degree, imagine like with the bleaching and the mortality, the deaths that are happening to corals, imagine somebody just wiped out, clear cut an entire forest, but it wasn't a, a person with a chainsaw cutting down every single tree. It, it's just the hot, water temperature that's doing that that's caused it. from it's from climate change like there's no explanation like why is the ocean getting so much hotter it's because we're trapping heat on the planet and the ocean is absorbing 93 percent of that energy and that heat that's being trapped is going into the ocean so um there's no you can ask any coral expert on the planet any oceanographer like that is the only explanation for, for and you guys have. We have i mean We've you, you chronicle so that in the, yes. in the film yeah um, so the notion there is like, imagine clear cutting a forest and yes, the, the forest can regrow, but picture it getting clear cut year after year after year on an automated process, like the, that the air just somehow was clear cutting an entire forest. That's sort of what's happening right now, at least in parts of the ocean. Wow. And I think the other piece of that is that, um, Corals are animals, as we learn in the film. And I didn't know, honestly, I lived in Colorado. I grew up there. I'd never gone diving in my life before this project. And Zach taught us that these are creatures. He loves them like he like people love their dog. Um, but they're also creatures that can't move easily. Um, so corals obviously can migrate, as Zach said, when they throw their gametes, their eggs up. That's how they reproduce. But on the Great Barrier Reef, um, it's built up over years. And so it's built up enough of a shelf that they they can then be close to the sun where they get their food. Um, but if the water's too warm and they need to migrate, well, there's nowhere to go because beyond that shelf, there's nothing that has been built up. So there's no way for them to move to a new home that's cooler. So they basically just sit there and... and Roast? Yeah. yeah, yeah. They're stuck. Yeah. Uh, it sounds... That, it's disgusting. Yeah, that doesn't sound enjoyable. Um, chasing coral, chasing ice. What was the... What, what, what project hit harder? Um, that's an interesting question. Uh, I think chasing coral has been um, emotionally tougher. I, there's something about as beautiful as ice is, it's, it's just frozen water, right? And you can watch a change and you can understand and rationalize it. But as Larissa was saying, like in this case, we're watching billions of animals die. Um, many many billions of animals um and it's just really hard to sort of wrap your head around and wrap your heart around like how effed things are um so i think this one's been tougher i also like it's been interesting because we we don't want to do this work like we we're doing this out of reluctance and out of responsibility because we understand what's happening we've seen it we we feel like we know some enough techniques to be able to capture it and visualize it um but i'd much much rather climate change not be a real yeah. thing and us not have to do this work that there there's the notion of ignorance is bliss we talk about that somewhat often because if only we had that that good fortune to still be ignorant on this issue life would be a lot easier i call it the the convenient veil of ignorance yeah that sounds awesome Sign you just me get up. to look through and just continue yeah. on with your I, life i, I completely could go back to that state yeah <laughs> um but that's it's i don't know nobody 
And the interesting thing for me is that that's, that's been our experience as filmmakers, but every, pretty much every scientist that I've met, every coral expert, every most natural photographer, natural history photographers that I know of that whole community, everybody's just depressed about the state of the planet and where it's going. These are people who are out there and they see it firsthand and they've been out there for years and years and years. This has been for many people decades career a career's worth of being in nature and capturing it and showing it to the rest of the world and now those people on the front lines are watching the thing that they love more than anything they're watching it die um so it's it's tricky it's tough for the community what about you larissa i mean i like as as your imdb page says you went from miscellaneous tech on chasing chasing ice to, to producer on chasing coral I, you know i don't really know what a miscellaneous tech is she's blushing a lot right <laughs> i didn't know it said that um i feel so fortunate to have been part of chasing ice the two other producers that worked with jeff paula dupree pestman and jerry aronson um really taught me so much about what it means to tell a story that people can relate to um so working on that film I just felt like it was the best um, project I could have ever been a part of. It was something that, you know, was really changing people. And at that time, people, you know, didn't know that glaciers were really changing that quickly. And I think it really opened people's eyes to that. And for me, I just saw the power of cinema um, as a way to make a difference and as a way to um, communicate beyond barriers. And taking that, I mean, this project has been such a huge learning experience for me and I'm I'm really grateful for the trust that Jeff had in our team and um, the ability for us to bring together such an amazing crew. Honestly, if you watch through the end of the film, which I hope you do, you I will did. see <laughs> hundreds of, of names. Uh, it was really a labor of love from people globally and um, our co-producer Stacey Piccolo is not here. Uh, like Daily was somebody who was really supporting the team abroad and I think we just learned so much about how filmmaking is a team effort what is um, it yeah what's the biggest thing you, that you did learn yeah I mean I think this I, I was telling the team earlier today that uh, we worked on part of the the film was a global call which um, we realized yeah, that that was beautiful yeah in the in the film we were we were making and we realized finally we were in the right place to try to capture um, this thing that had previously been so elusive and um, we were only in one place and we only had so many people and so many resources and so much money, we couldn't go everywhere. And so we decided it, it was time to ask for help. Um, and I think the response that we got was really humbling. Um, I think we received responses from over 150 people in 50 different countries. And just to see the passion, of the, it was like seeing Zach in all of these different countries and languages, <laughs> people that just really deeply care about our oceans and about their coral in their backyard. It was just really amazing and I think that group of people for us was just the most invigorating thing because it was just showing us that you know we're not here alone totally. there are people out there that really believe and care and and if we can bring their voice to the surface um, then we've done our our job and I like that little ocean little plug there yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> bring the voice I, like, I gotta tell you that the two parts where I like had watery eyes in the film one was where you know you you sequence through all of those people hmm. Who, mm. who sent you video messages about what's happening with their coil. I was doing like the, the wide-eyed, don't cry, blink. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's still to this I day. I've seen the movie there. probably like 40 times now, and that part I still can't get through. Yeah, and same like, That's it for me. That yeah. one, like the rest of it, like I've been sort of desensitized to the images that we took because I was there. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, that global call, man, like, especially the first time I saw it. Yeah. I still, that gets me every time I can't get through it. Yeah, no, I totally. And, and the part where, where you're at the, the international coral symposium mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. was it the symposium? Mm-hmm. Yeah. International coral reef symposium. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and you're talking and you're showing the before and after images. Like the imagery that, that the film presents is just stunning, but like, and, and to see like everybody's expression, like mm-hmm. you, you can't hide it. Right. So 150 people call in. Mm-hmm. How do we amplify that voice? Cause that's what, like, I mean, that's the idea yeah. behind sustainable Joe's. That's the idea yeah. of the, the 2084 podcast. Like how do we design yeah. a better tomorrow? Yeah. How do we get more people engaged? Um, let me clarify your question. How do, how do we get more people engaged in solutions or how do we amplify the voice of the public who are seeing it firsthand? Both. I mean, um, like I want people to show up, I want people to stand up and I want people to act. So right. you show up and you stand up via, you know, like that, that social that you were talking about mm-hmm. before, but then how do we ultimately catalyze more action? I think the first thing comes from caring about it. And, and there are, there's a small percentage of the population that gets it and cares a lot about it. And there's a larger percentage of the population that gets that climate change is happening, but doesn't prioritize it. There's another section where it's like denying it and dismissing it, certainly in the United States where we're from. Um, Hashtag science socks. Science socks. Yes. (laughs) Make science cool again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You guys met Bill Nye. I saw that. That that, that had to be pretty cool. Yeah. Um, So it's, uh, that's a, a big question. Like, how do we just get people to wake up to it and to care about it and to prioritize it, which is what we're trying to do with our impact campaign exactly. um, and how we can get the film out there to people. Um, so can you talk about the impact yeah. campaign? Cause I thought that was stellar. I mean, you cool. see the kids light up. Mm-hmm. I mean, what was your VR experience? I mean, mm-hmm. the impact campaign, everybody yeah. is a VR underwater experience where I believe Zach, you're going to schools, correct? Yeah. So I actually do it pretty frequently right now. Um, it's really like Richard and his team really comes down to them for what we have. Like think through all of this. Can you talk about Richard just for a quick second too? Because like yeah. that's kind He's of where it's, today. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I guess just kind of like the background of how we got to the VR with Richard is obviously they did the, the Catlin Seaview survey, which was really a scientific organization. They were utilizing this brilliant technology and taking these three-dimensional images for scientific purposes that they could, images. they, yeah. yeah, then go back and um, basically take a look at the structure of these coral reefs and then they realized hey we've got like the largest collection of 360 imagery that probably has ever been taken underwater why don't we put these in all of these different kind of resource outlets and google through them onto their expeditions app which allows me as kind of a teacher for youth more or less to walk into a classroom and be able to share these images that were probably originally developed for scientific purposes but now just allow your average kid from maybe Boulder, Colorado, who might not have the opportunity to make it to the ocean. Like and, Larissa. Right. <laughs> never, never yeah, little before. Larissa's, I can little take diving. <laughs> and that it's an amazing experience for them. And, you know. So talk about the experience. What what happened? Like, what do the kids see? Or or the adults? Because, I mean, I saw you, you were throwing too. out yeah, yeah. the, the um, VR kits to. For the kids, that's who I enjoy working with because they're, they're curious. You know, they're little scientists. And um, especially if they've never seen them before, you know, probably seen them on TV or they've read about them in a book. But to feel like you're there for even just a moment um they just all light up and it's the most rewarding part of this for me is just to you know you can see the wheels turning and they immediately have questions um and that's how you cultivate a good scientist is letting kids 
delve into it themselves because they're going to have their own questions and I'm not walking in and teaching them anything. I don't walk in and say, this is what you're all going to walk away with today. Let's go diving in whatever you guys want to talk about because you're going to want to talk about a lot. Let's do it and see where we end up. Cultivate um, that coral creativity. Yeah, but it doesn't have to be coral, coral you know. We could curiosity. be, you know. Let's oh. talk about sea turtles. Let's talk about sharks. Let's talk about whatever you want. Scuba diving. Um, you know, I love how I, excited every, you are about this. Like, <laughs> no, no, seriously, because every single time I do it, there's never the same thing. Like every time I've done it, it's always completely different. What's like, the cutest question you've heard, or I mean, just the best reaction that you've gotten, like, or a memorable one? Mm. Like mine, we did this helping hands exercise, and this one little boy, he's like. Steven, like I want my helping hands to protect rainbow trout. Yeah. It, can I can I put rainbow trout? Can I, I like draw rainbow trout? I'm I like think absolutely. The funniest yeah. one that I've had, and it's not even really a question. It's just a favorite because it was with a really young group. So we're trying like preschoolers, you know, like yeah. you know, five years old, and so they're just you know it's complete chaos. You're not actually <laughs> teaching them anything; it's, it's out of control. Yeah. Like, I'm looking at turtles. You know, and their teachers feel like, oh my gosh, like. They're just ruining Zach's day, and I'm sitting there like, yeah, like, keep yelling. Like, let's just create chaos. But the best part is, is they just, like... We're learning. Hashtag learning. Yeah, for sure. Hashtag <laughs> learning. But even more so, then it gets to the point where, like, they're not asking questions anymore. They're asking me to show them, like, things that they want to see. So they're like, we want to see octopus. We want to see jellyfish. And it's like, okay, so I'm, like, going through the list. Oh, I have this. I have this. And eventually it's like... You guys, I don't have these things. Like, you're asking too much of me, and I've got a lot of VR footage, but you're asking, like, beyond even what I have. So that's probably my favorite is when you've engaged them so much that I've ran out of things to show you, but they want more. In an entire ocean. Exactly. <laughs> my favorite part was actually after that class, um, I think it was maybe another class of, of fourth graders, um, one of them wrote Zach a note. They, had, they drew a picture of a diver underwater, and they said, when I grow up, I want to be underwater just like Zach. Um, and for me, that was really, that's the power of, of film is to be I able to communicate these yeah. <laughs> journeys. And, and I think what Richard is doing now um, and what Zach is hoping to do is, is really to build a coalition. Um, Zach on the education side and, and Richard on the science and, and the reef side, he really wants to go out and protect um, and find the reefs that can be protected um, in the future. So his organization, um, since he's not here, is 50reefs.org. Org, uh, and and their goal is to work with the scientists that were in the film and and a number of other scientists to really figure out you know what is possible in the world of of conservation within that community what's possible in terms of the scientific rigor and and how can we figure out how to put those things together in order to make sure that we're saving the reef so that the kids in the future can see them. That was part one of my conversation with the Chasing Coral team. You can find out more about the film and movement by simply searching Chasing Coral, and you can watch it on Netflix, again, by searching Chasing Coral. As always, if you know someone or some company that is creating a sustainable tomorrow today, let us know and maybe we will highlight them right here on the podcast. Thank you to Koji Nagata and the entire Buns Podcast Network. Thank you to Steam Whistle for the green beer, and thank you for listening. You can subscribe to 2084 on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And please do me a favor and leave us a review while you're there. Lastly, thank you to everyone who supports this project. We are publicly funded. And if you have the capacity, please consider a monthly contribution to our Patreon campaign. You can find the link at sustainablejoes.com. Music for this episode and every episode is provided by Wolf Saga. And you can find Johnny and the band on Facebook by searching Wolf Saga. Thanks, Johnny. In closing, I thank you for listening, and please go watch Jason Coral now. 
fireflies and buoyant eyes Haven't felt this alive Caught a wave of your own We finally found our throne Relax love 